Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. We're launching into a new new series. We're in the book of James. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and flip it over to James chapter 1. Uh, you can do that physical Bible. You've got a device. Open up your device to James chapter 1. Uh, we are. This is my favorite New Testament book is, is the book of James. It's dense. It's thick. Uh, we could spend weeks going over the uh, verse 2 alone in, uh, in chapter 1. And so we are going to be hitting this for five weeks straight, and it's going to get us straight into, into Christmas time. So if you're not sure that Christmas is coming, it is coming. Like Halloween's tomorrow, which means Christmas starts the next day, right? Um, and so just be aware, Christmas is coming. We're going to do five weeks in this, though. And just know we, there's no possible way we can preach on this verse by verse uh, for five weeks. Uh, it would take us a year to be able to, to do that effectively. So as we're walking through these five chapters, we're going to do one chapter uh, per week. Read through the entire book of James every week with us, okay? You can do a chapter a day every single weekday, and that gets you through all five chapters every Every single, um, every single week. So we're launching into this new thing, and and largely we're just going to have to hit on the uh, the main themes of each chapter. Uh, so knowing that, real quick, I want to talk with all of you for just a second about a time in your life that you have maybe experienced true joy. I want you to think about that for a second. What time in your life have you experienced uh, uh, joy? And, and I think it has changed for me when I experience joy as I've gotten older, as I've matured uh, a little bit, because when I was younger, it feels like that uh, it was maybe a little bit more achievement-based. I remember uh, one of the first times, at least remembering anyway, uh, that I experienced true joy, I think I was like five or six years old. And it was Christmas time, and uh, Christmas Eve in my house, or in, in my family, we would all go to Grandma and Grandpa's house after church, right? And we would uh, sing a bunch of Christmas carols, do a bunch of stuff like that, all the different traditions that we would have. Um, and uh, all the cousins would come, the whole family was there, and then all the cousins would go into Grandma and Grandpa's room, and we all slept on Grandma and Grandpa's floor. Um, and so there's like, you know, 10 of us, 12 of us, however many cousins there were at the time, uh, lining grandma and grandpa's floor, like all the way around their bed. It was madness and it probably stunk. And thank you, grandma and grandpa, um, for doing it. But, um, I remember thinking, or or every single time we would do that, we would ask the question, what do you guys think you're going to get tomorrow? Or what do you want most tomorrow, right? And uh, so the answers would change every year, except my one cousin who every single year, he was like, I want a BB gun. I want a BB gun. In my head, I'm like, bro, there's a reason your parents aren't getting you specifically a BB gun. So stop asking for it, right? Anyway, so we go around. I remember this specific year, I was so excited because, man, I wanted a bike, like, it was like bike year for me, right? Like, freedom, like the first taste of freedom that I could actually have. We grew up, I grew up living on a cul-de-sac, and so, like, we had freedom in the cul-de-sac, but, man, I was still with training wheels and doing that whole thing, and I was like, no, I want, like, it's a big kid bike time, man, and that's what you call it, too, right? I want a big kid bike, um, and so, um, so anyway, we're talking about that. I wake up the next morning. I walk out into Grandma and Grandpa's living room, and there it is. It's black. It's beautiful, and it just says BMX on it, so you know it's good, right? And uh, I remember the padding over the handlebars was black and white checkers. And, and I got to sit on that bike. And I just remember smiling so big. I was like, this is Christmas, right? Like, this is joy. There is no greater feeling than this feeling of me sitting on my big kid bike and not falling off. Granted, the kickstand was down, and I'm sure my dad was holding it. But I was on the big kid bike. True joy in my life. 
right? There's some other times where I, if I'm thinking back towards like achievement-based stuff in my life that I can think about joy. Um, I, hit, I hit a home run in Little League, a home run in my entire career of Little League. I was really slow, and so if I hit the ball really far, it didn't matter unless there was a fence. So we played at a fence, and I hit a home run. I remember like running the bases and just being like, this is the greatest feeling. I am Barry Bonds, you know what I mean? Just like true joy in my life. Um, I remember I was named in high school captain of my water polo team. There was one time that uh, when Sarah and I were dating, we hiked Half Dome together. Uh, I didn't tell her how long of a hike it was, and she had done like zero hiking. And so like, she was like, how much further is this? It's like 14.1 miles. It's not that big of a deal. We'll be fine. Um, it's a bad call, bad call. Um, Anyway, but all of these things were kind of like achievement-based, but they did indeed bring me joy in some way. And then I got older, and I began, to, I began to mature a little bit. I got married, extreme joy, right? Like true joy in my marriage. I had kids, true joy in, in, uh, in having kids. And now watching my kids do the things that they love, those are the things that elicit joy in my life now, right? I got a... Uh, I got a kid who loves playing piano right now. I mean, if he had his way, he could sit down at the piano all day and just practice songs and learn new songs and do all of those different things that, that he wants to do. I mean, he reads music. He does the whole thing, which is like a foreign concept to me. Um, and sometimes I will catch him singing and playing piano at the same time. It's not often because he doesn't want us to hear him. I'm like, bro, you want to be as rich as Justin Bieber? You better start singing. Like that just how it goes. Um, but all he wants to do is just practice songs or figure out how to play different songs. Like in order to get this kid in trouble right now, it would have to be like, hey, stop playing piano, go outside and play with people, right? Like that's trouble for him right now. But I love seeing him in his element. I love seeing him appreciating and learning something. And like, like that to me, as he is experiencing joy, my son is experiencing joy, I then get to experience joy um, as well. And so I found true joy just by like observing and listening to my kids do their things and find kind of their element and that sort of thing. And so I want you to think about for you in your life, what are moments when you have experienced true joy? And maybe it's that broad stroke brush of, brush of getting married or having kids, right? Maybe it's simply spending time with family. Like, I don't know what it is for you, but oftentimes joy seems to be something that goes hand in hand with the best moments in our lives. You know, these, these pinnacle moments. And so when I say marriage, when I say kids, like joy seems to go hand in hand, like it erupts overflowing. When everything seems to be going our way, like those different things that I stated, babies, weddings, maybe it's an acceptance letter to your dream school or when your team wins a Super Bowl for the first time. Like there are, these are kind of moments that all of us associate with joy. And I think as far as we relate to things, this is true. That we relate these things to joy, but James actually has a different point of view in James chapter 1. He says that for followers of Jesus, joy isn't to be tucked away up on some shelf like fine wine and poured out only on those rare occasions when we believe all is right in the world. Like that's not the intention of joy. For the Christian, James says joy should be paired with good times and bad times. That joy should be always being had. It should be served when our worlds are exactly as we think they should be and when our worlds are completely and totally falling apart. That's when joy should be taking place So all the time. And I think the world that we live in, I think we have a hard time experiencing joy because I think all of us have turned into eternal pessimists. 
always comparing ourselves to other people, looking over the fence at other people, what other people's lives look like, waiting for all of the good things to begin happening while the while your life is just passing you by. Like maybe this is true for you. Has there been a time in the last year where maybe you've thought to yourself, is this as good as it gets? Like is this, like this life, is this as good as it gets? Like I go to work, I come home, I watch TV, the pastor says I'm supposed to be in community and so because of that, I'll show up on Wednesday night to get into a small group and then I go home and I go to bed and I repeat the whole thing. Like is this as good as it gets? And people now more so than ever, statistics will tell you now more so than ever, people are feeling unfulfilled. They are feeling depressed. They are waiting for the next high, chasing that next like epic moment in their lives. And so even when things are good, like even if they're not great, we aren't joyful. Even if they're good but not great, we're not joyful. And definitely when things aren't going well, we have sacrificed joy in our lives. But here's the entirety of joy. And if you're a note taker, write this down. The entirety, the entirety of joy is joy is a mindset that you have, not an emotion that you experience. Joy is a mindset that you have, not an emotion that you experience. The emotion that oftentimes you experience with joy is happiness. Right? That's the emotion, the smiling, that I feel good about this. That's the emotion. It is much more difficult to choose your emotions than it is to choose your mindsets. So in James chapter 1, he's going to tell Christians, as we continue to mature, one of the things that, that should allow other people to notice us, as well as just the simple changes that we need to make in our everyday lives, is that we need to exude joy. It says it in James 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So James opens up this letter to his audience, which is largely going to be Jewish, by the way. It's a Jewish audience he's writing to. And he's introducing some pretty major themes throughout the entire book in chapter 1. Okay, so there's no way we're going to be able to get through every single verse in five weeks. These are main big things. And this is going to be a hard message, especially because this is going to frame the rest of the message. It's going to frame everything that, that we're talking about today because we should have joy regardless of what's happening in our lives. Your joy should not be dictated by your surroundings. Your joy should not depend on your circumstances. Your joy does not come from a chemical release in your brain that makes you smile. That is not where joy comes from. Your joy should be constant regardless of what it is that you're going through. And I get it. This is a hard message for me because I'm naturally not a person who exudes joy. Right? Ask my wife for before I've had coffee. Like, that's not real. And so this is hard. And I get it. The Bible's saying we're supposed to have joy in trials, not just like when we're happy. No, no, joy in trials. Like, what is wrong with James? Doesn't James know what it is that I'm going through? Like, doesn't James understand my financial situation? Doesn't James understand that the person that I voted for didn't get elected? Doesn't James understand the financial state of our world? Like, what kind of leader is James for suggesting such a thing, that I would have joy? Doesn't James know what's going on? I think the reality is, I think James is a leader who has experienced both the highs and the lows of following Jesus and the difficulty of it. Jesus, by the way, James older brother. So James, as he is writing this, like, Jesus' brother, man, that's pretty difficult. You think you had a hard time with sibling rivalry? Like, don't you think that Mary compared, like, Jesus to James all of the time? Like, James, how come you can't be more like Jesus? 
you joking me right now? Like I got that enough with the underachieving older brother, much less perfect one. So his brother, and James recognizes that what you are walking through, whether good or bad, is temporary. What you are walking through, whether good or bad, is temporary. Even if what you're walking through is a life or death situation, it is a temporary situation. That is a temporary matter for this world that goes away in the next. So your epic moments, right, as well as your depressing moments are not what define you. Your Instagram highlight reel is not what define you. The amount of followers that you have on social media is not what defines you. The accolades that you have racked up is not what defines you. The amount of schooling you have, your marital status, the the size of your family does not define you. Not your 401k, not your take-home salary, not how beautiful you are. None of these things define you because all of these things are temporary, good or bad, 100% of them. To skip ahead a little bit in James chapter 4, 14, this is what it says. It says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. A mist that appears for a little, I, I dug through our janitor's closet. I hope uh, Gary doesn't get upset, our facilities guy, but it's a pretty sweet little spray bottle. Life is a mist, is what it says. Just fleeting, right? Like that, that is our life. And we get so hung up on this mist. We get so hung up on this, this little vapor that it's there and then it's gone and you see it and it's gone and we just think to it like like this is our life and we focus so much on this specific moment this mist of a moment that we think oh I want to be as beautiful as I can right now or man I really hope all my financial situation I have to secure it or my family has to be, it, like my family's got to be perfect. I'm, oh, it's gone. Now, and that is the life that we are focusing on. That's the piece of our life that we're focusing on is this little vapor mist that ultimately is going to go away, ultimately is going to fade away. And it's not just the good things. We do this in the bad things as well. Right? We focus on these bad things in our life, even though it is, our life is vapor. Like oh, cancer, I'm walking through cancer, and this is all I'm focusing is this one life, and it's gone. Or the death of a loved one. Like, it's all, I can fo- it's all I can think about. Or I had a miscarriage. And we think about these things. And hear me, I'm not saying that these are things that you shouldn't think about. I'm not saying these aren't things that you shouldn't focus on at the time. Like, working to overcome grief in your life is good and necessary. Working to get beyond vanity and white-knuckling your own money is good and necessary. But we get so captivated by the vapor that's in front of us, that we stop thinking about the eternal that's forever. We get so focused on this that we forget about the big picture that we have. We're going to come back to that in just a second, though. So why would James then consider it pure joy? Why should we consider it pure joy even in the midst of trials? Well, James 1.4 begins that answer. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. If you've got a Bible, you can underline that. Underline mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance finish its work. So why be joyful amid your circumstances? Because your circumstances produce perseverance. 
There is something bigger going on in your life than this, this little vapor that we get so captivated by. We need to walk through difficulties so we can be matured by our circumstances. And looking in the room, there's enough of us in the room that we can recognize that you have been matured by different circumstances in your life in a way that the person sitting next to you has not because your circumstances are different and you have walked through different difficulty than they have. I went for my first like job interview, big job interview. I was 22 years old, right? And it's just like this punk kid working up at the Fresno Mall, working retail, slinging jeans. Man, it was so cool. And I was getting married, right? And so uh, it was really, really important that I like, landed a job that was making more than $200 a month because I had to support my wife in some way, right? And I was still in school and Sarah was finishing up school. Um, and so um, I, uh, I got a phone call that said, hey, you should, you should go and uh, uh, interview for this youth pastor position in Selma. I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. And I remember uh, Sarah and I both went and it was nighttime and we sat in our pastor's office and he was just like asking us a bunch of questions, talking about all these questions. And tell, I was telling him everything I could possibly tell him about why he should hire me. And at, like at the time, like I said, it was mostly like, I love Jesus and I need a paycheck. Like that's what I told him in a bunch of different ways, right? Like that's all I had to offer. But at the end of the interview, he asked me if there was anything else that I wanted to share with him. Like, what else is it that you want to share? And the only thing I could think of in my head was that I am this punk 22-year-old kid slinging jeans at the Fresno Mall. There is no reason this guy should hire me. There's no reason he would want to hire me. Like, he could have his pick of any 22-year-old people at that, at that point. And then what can only be described as a Holy Spirit moment in my life, I felt like I was supposed to talk about the maturation process that I had to go through as my dad walked through cancer. So I go essentially from this interview being over and me saying, hey, I love Jesus and I'll do my best to, to bring students along to love Jesus as well, to me monologuing about my dad walking through cancer for the last four years and talking through, hey, this really shook my faith, but it also strengthened my faith as well. And so I'm talking through it, I'm talking through it, I'm realizing I'm monologuing, I'm like, I just need to shut up and say, and that's, that's what else you need to know about me. Why would I... Why would I share that? Because while I was a 22-year-old kid working retail in Fresno, I had to walk through much more difficult things in the last four years than the vast majority of kids my age ever would have had to. Why? Because trials produce perseverance. And it is our responsibility to have the mindset of joy amid those trials. And so this is the same thing that James is talking about, but in light of trials, that we are matured through difficulty. Be joyful. Choose joy. Because whatever it is that you are walking through, it is going to produce maturity in your life. As you sit here, as you sit here, you are the sum total of every decision you have ever made in your life. I've shared that before, but think about it even like on a physical level, right? Like we are the sum total of what we have chosen to do or eat for the entirety of our lives. So the sum total of either that extra donut or that 3.30 a.m. wake-up call to go do CrossFit that I'm sure you'll talk about to somebody else at some point. <laughs> You're the sum total of that, right, physically speaking. But even if, you go, even if you go beyond that, like financially speaking, you are the sum of every product you have purchased, every fund you have invested in, and every penny you have saved financially. Look at your bank account. Look at your 401k. Look at all of those things. You are the sum total of that financially. 
We're the sum total of every single one of those decisions. And those decisions, good or bad, those moments in our life, good or bad, mature us as we continue on in our life. Your maturity depends on the circumstances you have walked through. Your joy does not. Your joy remains regardless of what it is that you're walked to. The entire theme of James is how to be a mature Christian. Well, why does our maturity matter? Let's look at James 1.12. It said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown, will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We should have joy under trial because your trials amount to your perseverance. And your perseverance amounts to God being very pleased, good and faithful servant. So be joyful regardless of where you find yourself because you're going to be found mature and complete in your faith. What does that mean? Mature and complete, as James talks about. It means you get to continue to grow in the likeness of Jesus until you're no longer on this earth. Being mature and complete is echoed. It's actually in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to flip over there, you can. It's also going to be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're becoming mature. We're becoming more like Jesus. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, this is us becoming mature, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from the whole body, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There should be no greater joy in our lives than when we get to become more and more like Jesus. There should be no greater joy in our lives than we get to become more and more like our creator every single day. Why? Not only is our creator, but Jesus is also our savior. And I think for those of us who have been in church for a long period of time, we kind of take Jesus for granted. We kind of take for granted what he did for us on our behalf, who he is. Quick gospel lesson for everybody. Maybe you're new to things of church. Maybe you're new to things of Jesus. Let me tell you about the gospel, okay? In Genesis chapter one, God created everything. Genesis one and two, God created everything and everything was really good. We talked about that through our marriage series, right? We talked about the fact that God created man and from man he created woman and the two became one flesh. We talked about sex way too much last week. For those of you who are here, go back and listen to it. So we talked about that, but then in Genesis chapter 3, after God had finished creating everything, sin enters into the world through Adam and Eve. Okay, they intentionally do what God tells them not to do. And so sin enters into the world, and from that point forward, mankind has a sin issue that needs to be dealt with. So everything from that point forward, the Bible, the Old Testament from that point forward, is man doing his best to get back to God. So we see in Exodus, the Ten Commandments, the law, all of those things, God lays out all of these things for man to recognize that he's not good enough to be in heaven with God unless his faith is going to be counted to him as righteousness. That's it. That's the only way you can get to heaven is through faith, not by your works, not by anything else that you do. The prophets, as laid out later on in the Old Testament, they're just keep telling people, hey, 
Like, this is God's expectation and you're falling short. This is God's expectation and you're falling short. Turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. The prophets could not save man. The law could not save man. And so there is an issue here because man is sinful and all of us are deserving of hell because of sin. And so God rectifies it, right? God says, you know what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I want you to write about my son who I'm going to send. He was born on December 25th. Not actually, but that's when we're going to celebrate his birthday. So Jesus comes into the world, and Jesus begins teaching. He begins doing all these incredible miracles. But the most important thing that Jesus does is he is willing to go to the cross on our behalf. So every single sin that you have committed, have, are currently committing, or will ever commit is nailed to the cross for him. He has now taken the punishment that each and every one of us deserve. And so now, from that point forward, he, he, he dies a physical death. He conquers death by coming back three days later, ascends into heaven, is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father, at that point. And then there's the rest of the New Testament from that point forward. It's all talking about how it is that we should become more like the guy who saved us from everything, our Savior, But here's the deal, even as I was talking through the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that someone came and died for your sins, half the room still tuned out. Why? Because we take Jesus for granted. Why? Because I had a bad day. Because because you don't understand my trouble, because life is hard, because my finances, because whatever, 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 and we're too busy focusing on on the midst, and we are not focusing on the eternal We're not focusing on what Jesus came and did in our lives. Stop looking at the vapor of your life and start focusing on becoming mature and complete so you can become more like Jesus. There's something interesting that I read back in Ephesians, though. If you look through verses 11 through 15, you'll see that all of us have a job to do. It says the entire body will be held together by every supporting ligament, I think this is talking about like every single piece of the body is important. About 10 years ago, when I was still trying to prove my worth, I uh, did a Spartan race. Anybody done a Spartan race, something stupid like that? No, just me? Cool, I'm kind of a big deal then. Okay. Um, Anyway, so the Spartan race is like this long race with obstacles, and you know, if you need to prove your manhood, you do one of those things. And so I did the 13.1 race, and I was training for it, I was doing all this stuff, and then they do these obstacles. So I'm like six miles into the race, right? And I'm feeling okay. And uh, I go over this big obstacle and I hear something pop in my leg. I was like, that, that felt weird. So I get down off the obstacle and I start like taking inventory, right? Like, am I okay? Like I'm lifting my legs and moving and okay. All right. Yeah, no, I'm good. So I can keep going. So I finish this race and I get done, and you get all muddy in these races, right? It's the obstacle course stuff. So I like take a shower, get changed. And Sarah didn't come to the race. She went to the aquarium, which was the right call um, because they're boring to watch. I'm like, oh, there's Peter running. Um, and so Sarah comes and picks me up, and she has the, the kids with her. And I get into the car, and it was hard getting into the car. It was difficult, specifically really difficult with my right leg. I was like, this, I just finished running 13.1 miles. Like, this shouldn't be that difficult for me to be able to lift my leg up at this point, right? So we drive home from uh, Monterey, which is a pretty long drive. <laughs> and I get out of the car, and by get out of the car, I more fell out of the car because I could not lift, physically lift my right leg anymore. 
Sarah, here she is, 27. She's got three other kids to get out of the car at the time. And then she's like, hold on, I got to get my adult baby husband out of the car as well, right? And so she's like grabbing me, like she had to put my leg, like grab my leg and take it out of the car. And then I could like turn and then she's like pulling me upwards. And I was like broken. I had no clue what happened until eventually I went and got it checked out because I'm a man and eventually all things will heal with time, right? And uh, so I eventually went and got it checked out. I had popped my hip flexor. Most of you are like, I don't even know what a hip flexor is. I didn't either. I didn't care about a hip flexor right? I didn't care about a hip flexor until my hip flexor stopped working. A hip flexor is what is necessary for you to do this, right? Very unimpressive until it doesn't work anymore because you can't just walk with one foot and hopping really wasn't an option, right? And so I didn't recognize the necessity of this tiny little ligament in my leg that was necessary for me doing this, just taking one more step forward. Why do I share that? I share that because, man, all of us have a role to play in the body of Christ. And some of you, man, some of you guys are hip flexors, and you don't even know it. Like, you guys are a part of the body that is necessary for us to be able to take a step forward, and you may not think what it is that you are doing, or what it is that you're responsible for, or what it is that you are called to is important or necessary, but it is. Right? Some of you guys are hands. That's awesome. Hey, some of you guys are feet, great job, responsible for keeping us upright. Some of you guys are big toes. Man, we need you for balance for sure. All of us have a role that we are supposed to play in the church. All of us have a responsibility to the body of Christ. Why? Because we're becoming more mature and we're becoming more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we have a role to play as we become mature and complete in the body. And the Holy Spirit has gifted each and every one of you in a different way to be able to play those parts effectively. Whether that's hip flexor or eyeball or nose or ear or whatever it may be. All of us have been gifted uniquely in order to do that. So the question then becomes, what are the things that I'm supposed to do then? What are the expectations of a follower of Jesus as as I become more and more mature and stop worrying about this and start worrying about the eternal what things am I, so we've got, we've got a whole list of things you could do here. But just because you are called to do something, to become, to become part of the body of Christ, does not mean that it has to be inside the church walls. Go serve at a parachurch organization. Go serve at a school district somewhere. That's cool. Like, what, what has the Spirit called you to do? The thing that's necessary isn't necessary for you to, for 100% of people here to serve inside the church. I do think serving the church is important. But I also believe that there are people who are called to do things outside of these church walls as well to be able to point people back to the church, back to the body of Christ. So find what your calling is as you begin to focus on the eternal because you are becoming more mature. There's something else that we're doing though. And this is going to come off as a little salesman-ish, so that's okay. (laughs) I'll, I'll own it. So one of the things we're excited for, maybe like the service side of things, you're like, I don't even know where, where I can step out in faith. Dude, we've got a massive carnival that's going on tomorrow. I don't know if anybody heard about it. Um, last year, we had over 1,000 people here. 1,000 people came through. That is madness out there. We had a pipe break. It was great. It was like mud everywhere. It was like Woodstock, but with costumes and more clothes on people. 
But it's great every year, right? We got like photo booths. We got kids dressing up in their costumes. We give out tons of candy. And every year I get questions like, why do we do things like this? Why would the church do, like, shouldn't we just let Halloween be Halloween? And I get it. I understand the questions and the thoughts, but let me paint a picture for you. To me, the main reason we do fall carnival is to get people to come to our church in a non-invasive way, a non-threatening way. Like parents are looking for a place that they can take their kids on Halloween that's safe, a place they're looking like it's cheap and it doesn't require them to walk 10 blocks in order to get candy. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And this provides all these things, which I think is is helpful to the community, and we should be about helping the community. The other reason that we do fall carnival, and this has been true for the last few years, is to be able to follow up with people who don't have a home church and invite them to our Christmas Eve services. In short, we want people to come here for Halloween, so they'll come here at Christmas. That's really why we do it. And in theory, it works out well. But here's the problem. Christmas Eve and Halloween are two months apart, right? And most people really aren't planning two months out. Most people just want to get through this sugar-infused night unscathed, and then by Thanksgiving, they can begin to focus on the holiday season. So the conversation changed a while back. It was actually back in January. Me, Jeff, and Kyle, we, uh, we had a conversation Uh, The change what we do as a church in order to keep people who don't yet know Jesus excited about coming to a church for the next two months. What is it that we can do? What is it that we could do that our faith in Jesus would compel us to do to get the non-believer excited about church? And I think years ago, our specific church, First Baptist Hanford, had a great answer to this question. This kind of intermediate thing that we would do between Halloween and Christmas Eve that would get the community excited about church. We did a thing that this entire room was designed around called the Living Christmas Tree. Anybody remember the Living Christmas Tree? Yeah. The Living Christmas Tree is a mainstay in our community. Okay? If you're curious why our stage is so big, the Living Christmas Tree would sit about where my feet are, and the person in the top of the Living Christmas Tree would be at the peak. That 25-foot peak up there, that's the top of our Living Christmas Tree right? It was always a big deal. Who's going to be at the top of the living Christmas tree, right? And we had the choir and we had like, like the band and trumpets and brass and like all of this cool stuff that went along with it, a big program and lights and all of that stuff. And it captivated the community for them to be able to come to something else that was going to point them to Jesus, to get them to come back for maybe it's Christmas Eve, maybe it's simply next week. I don't know. But I think the church used to do a really, really good job on that. And it's been 10 years since our last Living Christmas Tree performance. We are not bringing it back. For those of you who are like, oh, what's he building to? Just relax, okay? (laughs) We're not bringing it back. And one of the reasons we're not bringing it back is if you would have seen the greenery on that thing the last time we pulled it out, there was like a possum that ate half of it and then also built a nest in it. Like, that Christmas tree was no longer living. You know what I'm saying? Like, it it was dead, But we're trying to figure out what is it that we can do. We are going to now utilize the same concept and the same tree, but do something else. Imagine with me, if you will, a place where you and your family could come any night of the week, pull up, turn your radio to a designated station, and watch a massive light show set to music that includes the gospel story and ends with an invitation to our Christmas Eve services, all of which is anchored by a 25-foot tree that's going to be right out there. That's what we want to do. We essentially want to say, okay, look, we're going to take this tree. We got the frame. We got metal. We had a, a, a couple guys come out and start building it. 
uh, about two months ago or so to make sure that like, we had all the pieces and we didn't have any of the screws or any of the bolts. We had to go buy screws and bolts for this thing, right? The possum, I guess, took those things too. Um, and so we were building it up and, and make, we're taking measurements, we're doing all these things, and then we ordered thousands and thousands of lights to be able to put on this massive Christmas tree. And not only do we want a light show out there, we're going to do a Christmas tree lighting ceremony. December 3rd, we're going to do it at 6 o'clock. We're going to invite the community out. It's going to be over here. We're going, to, we're, going to have, we're going to have food trucks. Man, I want Santa to come so bad. I hope we can find a Santa that shows up. Even the Santa. Can you imagine if the Santa, the actual Santa showed up? And photo booths and the hot chocolate backpacks that I really want to purchase. Like, I don't know. I don't know what else we're going to do out there. And then we count down the night, and it's a 20-minute show pointing people to Jesus. Why? Because we're the church, and if anybody is going to celebrate Jesus' birthday, we should do it best right? So we're going to do that out there. That's the third. And then every single night from December 4th through, the, through December 25th for three hours a night from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, we're going to have a 20-minute show running out there. Anybody can come to it. And what happens in that show? We read from Luke chapter 2. They hear the gospel story. They hear the, the birth story, rather, and we invite them to our Christmas Eve services when the whole thing is over. Why? Because we love Jesus and we want our community to know Jesus. And sometimes you, you serving your role, you functioning in the body of Christ is wearing a hot chocolate backpack and giving hot chocolate out to people for free. Sometimes that's maybe what it looks like. Maybe, man, maybe you're great with tools. Man, we got a 25-foot tree. I have no clue. Like there's two people in the world, I think, who know how to put this thing together. And while they're masterminding the whole thing, maybe you know how to turn a wrench. Cool, we could use you. There is opportunity to be had. There are things for us to be able to do, for us to be able to have an outreach that would bring people out to our property and provide a service to our community while we share the gospel with them. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Why? Because our faith requires us to play our part in the body. And sometimes that action means that we need to go across the street and visit our neighbor who is sick. Sometimes that means you get a, a to-go box on our Wednesday night dinner and take it to your dying friend. Sometimes it means building the biggest light show in Kings County. Whatever that looks like, that is our responsibility. You know why this is even possible? Because someone played their part. You know how much money we're dropping on this thing? Like, our budget's $25,000 for it. That's crazy money. That's like a car for most people. Two cars if you're in my category, right? But we're able to spend that much money, not because it's in our general fund. We're behind in general fund giving, for those of you who are curious. That money's sitting in our savings account. Because last year, somebody decided to play their part. Somebody decided to, pay, to play their role and gave the biggest gift that FBH has ever received. Why? Because it was their role to play. Not all of you have stupid money like that. Okay, but all of you do have the opportunity to serve the body. Why would you do so? Because it's your responsibility as you become more mature. It's your responsibility as you become more and more like Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're taking soup to your sick friend or serving out here with what we're going to be doing at Christmas time. It does not matter what that, what that is. Either way, our faith requires us to put the work in. No one gets a pass. So after tomorrow's big fall carnival, 
thousand people that come through. We're going to go hard to the paint this Christmas season because it's Jesus' birthday and we're celebrating Jesus' birthday. And we'll let you know the best way to partner with us as, as we get closer and closer. But church, what would it look like if we stopped focusing on this and started focusing on the, va- or stopped focusing on the vapor in front of us and started getting people to see that Jesus loves them enough to come and to die on a cross for them? That should be the most exciting, most joyful thing that we can imagine. So joyful, in fact, that your present circumstances do not hinder that joy. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you. And thank you for church. God, thank you for music and pastors and all of our volunteers and just everybody, God. I'm thankful for our team here. And God, I pray even as we think about our next steps as a church, even as we think about what it is that we would love to accomplish out here, God, that we don't even forget about those things that we do consistently to serve the body, things like Christmas shoeboxes, things like fall carnivals, things like just our our kids' ministry that we have or our student ministry or our senior adult ministry, or whatever it may be. God, thank you for those things that we serve the body so it can function and grow in the way that it should. And so, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now, for those of, the, those of us in the room who do not yet know what our gifting is, God, that you would elevate that. You would make that come to the forefront of our minds. But what is our gifting? What have you created me to do, Spirit? that you would let us know that. But beyond that, God, if there's people in the room who have not yet made that profession of faith, who have not yet said yes to you in a real way, who have been too busy focusing on the vapor, focusing on the mist, and not focusing on the eternal and realizing there is something bigger in this life, if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus today with your eyes still closed and head still bowed, you can simply pray along with me. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I fall short every single day. And God, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for focusing on the mist. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me, to take every single one of my sins, past, present, or future, to the cross, so that I could be with you forever. I believe that. And see, Father, I would choose to follow you. That I want to become more like you every single day. And I would find my part to play as well. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.